Ephesians chapter 4, we'll begin reading in the first verse. Paul writing, he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherewith he said, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, and maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Will you bow your heads with me? Father God, once more we just want to acknowledge you and your presence this morning. And we ask you by the holy name of Jesus that you would add your blessing to this reading of your word and to your people today. And amen. Alright, well that's um, a mouthful, those first 16 verses. Uh, Paul has a way of doing that. He's very exacting in his language and sometimes very long in his sentences. Um, uh, they are grammatically correct, but probably um, most English teachers at the elementary level would say you should never have a sentence that long if you were to write them. But it's there for us and it's by the inspiration of God and so we need to pick it apart a bit. Before we begin, I actually talk about the text and the glory that's in it. I want to say there is um, a common trend, uh, a tendency among churches of today. And I don't just mean one particular type of churches. I mean it, it's true of those whom we aff affiliate with, associate with. Uh, it's also true in the sort of larger uh, Christian culture of America, I suppose. Uh, we've sort of all drunk from the same fountain, uh, sometimes good, sometimes bad. And, and it seems that uh, the term that the theologians have come up with to describe what's happened is that the modern take is called uh, moral therapeutic deism. See, that's a big section, a lot to say, just like Paul's writing. What does that mean? It means that most people's take on Christianity today is that there is this impersonal God. That there's no experience, not really. That he doesn't really interact with you. There's no growth or relationship with him. And that God's main purpose and the purpose of the Bible is to make you feel better about yourself, therapeutic, and maybe to become a better person. Uh, 
Now that's not biblical Christianity at all. But it is the default into which we slide if we're not careful. And it is uh, the way that I think most people probably view the Christian faith. And, and the reason I say that is because when I listen to uh, the preaching that's available on radio and podcasts and television, so much of it is very much that way. Uh, when I see who it is that's drawing the big crowds, and of course, uh, big crowds are not our thing. Thankful for every one of you that's here this morning. Uh, bigness of crowd or smallness of crowd does not, equality, uh, does not equal truthfulness. Or even effectiveness. Uh, those uh, most popular teachers, or teachers around us uh, will teach things like um, the main point of the Bible is you are what you eat. I actually heard somebody say that. Uh, and I thought it was funny and then kind of scary that he meant it. Um, that's not biblical Christianity. That's not the faith once delivered to the saints. That in no way encompasses the cause or the need or the purpose of the gospel, which is that we are actually sinners. The problem is us. It's not out there. It's very convenient for us to come in on Sundays and, you know, for airflow and for other reasons, we close most of the doors. And so we say, out there is the problem, right? Inside these walls and these doors and these windows, we're okay. We're the righteous. We're the holy. Out there is the problem. Well, it's very convenient, but it's... Not real. And it doesn't help anybody beside the fact. So I want to say, uh, not only are, are the Bible stories not just about being uh, a better moral person. Not only are they wrong in saying that God uh, draws no distinction between uh, the sinners versus the saints, the lost versus the saved. But also, we need to be very careful and very conscious of those voices that we hear, whatever we watch, whatever we listen to, whatever we read, such that it's not sort of the stick and carrot routine, right? If you do these things, then you will become better. If you live this way good enough, then God will be pleased with you. I have a hard time with that when the scriptures seem to teach us uh, that all those Old Testament stories, all those so-called heroes of the faith are really about uh, telling about the coming Christ and pointing us to the fact that we desperately need him. And there's no way we could live good enough to be, for God to be pleased with us. Do you know what the Bible says that God is pleased with? Isaiah chapter 53 this is perhaps one of the most uh, damning, deep-cutting statements, but also, at the same time, one of the most glorious statements of victory for the believer in Christ because Isaiah prophesied generations before Christ was born about His crucifixion. He said, The Father was pleased to bruise the Son. The sacrifice of Jesus has pleased the Father sufficient forever and for everyone who trusts in Jesus. Now that's the understanding, that's the approach that we come to as we look here at a portion of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. That's the understanding that Paul has. And so this is about a real gospel. It's about real relationship. It's about real needs that we have. And by the way, as much as I want to say it's not just about becoming a moral person, uh, that's not to say the Bible doesn't have things, in fact, much to say about how we should live and how we should act, because it does. We just have to approach it rightly, okay? So, 
Today, when I speak uh, from Ephesians 4 and future messages, when it talks about how we should live, and Paul opens up here, uh, live uh, or, or, or worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called, it's not about living enough to please God. It's about recognizing the fact that if you are in Christ, you're accepted in the Beloved. Therefore, realizing the sin that should be weighed upon you, you should be held guilty and responsible for, but knowing that Christ took that upon Himself and nailed it to a cross and came glorious out of the uh, grave on the third day, knowing that judgment is not awaiting you. You see what a different motivation that is? And for the heart of the believer, when we talk about these things, that ought to stir something inside us that says, I owe my all to Christ. I need to live worthy of that calling with which I've been called, not because so that I might obtain something, but because I have obtained something by grace through faith in Jesus. So we want to be careful about the way we approach this. Also, uh, I'm sort of presupposing uh, at least two things uh, in this message, because otherwise it would be much longer. And while I've had the week off of no teaching and preaching, that doesn't mean that you're ready for a week's worth jam- or two weeks' worth jammed into one. Um, it's amazing what missing one Wednesday night will do to you. But anyways, I'm presupposing two things in this uh, message. First is that you are saved. That may seem strange. What I mean by that is the things that Paul wrote here, he wrote to believers. He wrote to people who are a member of a local church. So this morning, as I talk about the blessings of God, as I talk about the protections of God, as I talk about how that we ought to live, the truth of the matter is you can't get there on your own. So even when I talk about walking worthy or living in a worthy manner, you can't do that if you're not saved. And so this morning, I pray that God's Holy Spirit would use these words, even these words, toward the saints, toward the family of God. And if there be any here today who are lost and separated, and uh, you're being uh, revealed perhaps even now by the Holy Spirit that you are a sinner in need of saving, then I pray that these words would cause you to seek Christ and Him alone. Um, to, to talk about maturing in faith before that you're born is, is sort of like a young couple talking about, uh, well, we're bringing these influences in so that our children will be mature. And you say, oh, are you having a child? Well, no, but we might someday. See, you got to be born before you can mature. you got to be born again before you can mature in Christ. So I'm assuming this morning, with most of this message, that you are saved and that God will uh, draw you to Christ if you are not. And the second one, which sort of the cat's out of the bag, I'm going to be assuming the fact that you understand that we can mature in Christ. The, the uh, wonderful, glorious, miraculous experience of coming from a nature to grace, of coming from unbelieving to believing, of being saved, that's not the end. That's the beginning. Sometimes we forget. We talk so much and we emphasize so much about the experience of being saved, and we want you to have that experience because we have that experience, and it's an amazing thing, but that's just the beginning. So those two things I'm presupposing this morning. And looking at these first 16 verses, I want to talk about growing up in Christ or maturing 
in Christ. What does it mean to mature in Christ? Does it just mean that I've been saved for a long enough time and so by virtue of living in Christ and turning the pages on our calendar or flipping them on our screen as we all now have digital ones, uh, does that just mean I'll naturally mature in Christ? What does it mean to mature in Christ? Uh, First, I want to say that it is not a matter of physical age, nor is it a matter of length of Christian experience. Um, someone who is uh, brought to faith at a young age. I was eight years old. Um, I was immature and immature in Christ. Someone can come to faith uh, at an adult age. In fact, we find many testimonies of such in the Scripture. And we know of people. And so if you're 40, 50, uh, 80 years old, whatever the case may be, when you're first saved, maybe you're very mature physically and maybe mentally and emotionally, but that doesn't necessarily mean because you're an older age that you're more mature in Christ. So what does it mean to be mature in Christ? What does Paul say? At least it means having and seeking a unity, first thing. Look at verses 3 through 5. Paul says that we're to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we're called. He talks about uh, being lowly and meek. Verse 2, then he says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Um, If there's one thing Baptist churches know about, it's contention and striving and divisions. Sadly, uh, while we may be good about that, especially down here in the South, uh, that's not the Spirit of Christ. What does it mean to be mature in Christ? It's not one who's advocating for uh, your way or your understanding or wanting to go in one direction when the rest of the body is going in a different direction. Unity or maturity in Christ seeks unity, seeks peace. How does the Bible describe Jesus as the great shepherd? One of the great illustrations that we have. How good is the shepherd who can't keep his sheep together? How good of a flock is it if they continue to rebel and to run away from the, the shepherd? We had, um, we've had, some of you know, not very good luck or experience with dogs. And the reason we got rid of one of them was because she just kept running. And so finally, it was clear to us she didn't want to be with us. You know. Uh, after so long, I begin to recognize patterns. Okay, you don't want to be here. Okay, we'll, we'll let you be somewhere else. Um, sadly, it seems that there are people whose names are on church rolls and, and whom everybody claims is a Christian and a church member, but they're like that dog and they just want to keep going. What does it say about a someone who professes a faith in Christ but can't seem to stand to be around God's people very much? These may be indicators of a problem. What does it mean to be mature in Christ? It means that we recognize we find unity in Christ and Him alone. Uh, We've said before, our hymn of the month, we'd have no cause to be here together as a family. Look around the room. Born in different places, different circumstances. Some of us grew up very differently from each other. Why are we united? If we're united uh, properly, biblically, we're united in Christ. Why would you ever want to run from that? We're going to be individualistic. We're going to have our own preferences, our own strengths, our own weaknesses. But this is about being mature in Christ is about finding a unity, desiring a unity within the body. 
It is my job, my role, my responsibility as pastor to lead us the right way. Uh, and I'm trying. Uh, there's going to be sometimes I wish we could go one way. And I need to give in. I'm not talking about doctrine. I'm not talking about backing away from the truth that Christ Jesus is the only way. I'm saying we're all going to have our preferences once in a while, but we need to recognize that maturity in Christ and God help us to have the Spirit is to want to be together in oneness with the body. Do you remember in Acts chapter 2, that great and wonderful and miraculous day of Pentecost? Do you remember what it said about the people who were gathered there? They were in one accord. Do you think they didn't have opinions or preferences or other things to do? They recognized the need for unity. Something larger than myself. My being a part of this church is not about it being my church all the time. It's about me being a part of the church. Maturity in Christ is about unity. Paul says in verse 4, there's one body, one spirit, even as you're called in the one hope of your calling. Our experiences of our testimonies, the differing details, but we are drawn by the same Spirit. There's commonality into it all. He says in verse 5, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. A lot of emphasis on unity in the Scriptures. Have you ever noticed that? You know, one of the biggest problems they had in the early church uh, was uh, racial or ethnic diversity slash tension slash hatred. America didn't invent that. The Jews couldn't seem to get along with the Gentiles because they grew up so differently and they thought that they were special. That sounds like a lot of the people that I grew up in church with. But throughout the, the New Testament, what do we, everything we're taught about the gospel, about uh, how a church is supposed to function, Paul brings it up here as he teaches the uh, Ephesians. He says, one God, one Lord, one faith. The, the cry of the early church is they're trying to pick apart and understand uh, the complexities of all that God has revealed. And we have this word, uh, even Trinity. Right? Three in one. Some of us have been talking about that recently. Unity and Trinity. Trinity and unity. What's it about? Is one God. Always been one God. There's still one God. There's only ever been, only ever will be one God. And guess what? He's making one people for himself. Imagine that. We, we love to talk about uh, of all the tribes and all the tongues and all the lands. And I believe that God has been and is redeeming people from all over this globe. They're being saved of every language, every color, every culture. It's amazing the power of the gospel and how it is not confined to all those things that we like to uh, confine ourselves with. God is above it all. But you know what he's doing with all these diverse peoples and people groups? He's building one people. Now, I know there's some difference about this, but, but just, just for a moment, church family, can, can you think about the fact uh, that in glory, one church, and no division, no striving, no, we're the big city church, or we're the pure small country church, or we're the modern church, or we're the old timey church, or we're the this church, or we're the that church, one church. You know where that starts? Right here. Again, look around the room. This is what God is doing. 
Those people whom you've looked up to, those people who in times past, long before I got to this church, I know they were here, and it seemed like in the, in the midst of some division or some uh, disunderstanding, misunderstanding, conflict, whatever may have been the case, and yet there was somebody who stood up and they, and, and they, they pushed and they moved for unity. And they had the wisdom to say, we can give in here and it's okay. Here we can't give in. Let's all move in this direction together. You know what that was? Maturity in Christ on display. We need that today. We're so blessed here at Mount Juliet. We have such a peace and a unity about us. That can go away so quickly if we're not careful. Pray God to send your spirit to mature us in this way. Some of those who fought for the unity of this body aren't here anymore. Some of us who are younger pups in the faith, we need to beg God to help us mature in this way. That we may seek the unity of God's people. Maturity in Christ, if nothing else, looks like unity. One Lord, one faith, one baptism because we serve one God and Father of all who is above all, through all, and in church family, in you all. Maturity in Christ brings about unity. I'll tell you another thing. Not only unity, although please God help us with that, it also brings about steadfastness. Look at verses 14 and 15. I know I'm kind of jumping around uh, uh, out of order, but stick with me. Unity, now steadfastness. Verse 14. That we henceforth be no more children. Remember, this is about maturing in Christ. No longer being babes in Christ, being children. Uh, no longer uh, that we may be no more children, verse 14. Tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. By the slight of men, cunning craftiness, whereby they wait to deceive. Do you realize professing Christians, professing preachers, by the way, Standing behind this doesn't make us immune. There are those out there who are not of the true flock. There are those out there with their own agendas and they seek. They wait, Paul says, to deceive. And if we are not mature in Christ, if we're not growing in faith and knowledge, if we're not anchored in Christ and steadfast in the gospel and in the faith, what will we be? We'll be tossed to and fro. That's exactly what Paul says here. Think about it. Have you ever known somebody, uh, and, and this is not in any con uh, condemning way, because we're talking about maturity. you ever know somebody who gets uh, saved? Perhaps they weren't even churched at all before, and they're just on fire for Jesus. They have such an energy, and they're going about, but they don't know. They don't even know what they don't know, if you take my meaning. And somebody comes in and tells them something, they don't know any better. Yeah, let's be about that. And then somebody else comes in and tells them, and they're back over here about this. Have you ever seen that? Have you ever experienced it? I have. And it's okay for new converts to not yet be grounded. It's okay uh, for children to be children. We don't fuss. I've had a little bit of experience with children. Um, you know, when they're six months old, we don't fuss at them for not being able to walk very well. Right? 
They have to grow. So we need, as a community of believers, we need to understand it's okay for babes in Christ to have crazy-sounding questions and sometimes get really bad ideas. That's natural. What's not okay is to just let them run with it and leave it alone and let it fester into something else and not uh, recognize that uh, those of us who are younger in the faith need to look to those who are more mature and more established in the faith and seek that steadfastness, seek that ballast that they have. I've seen mature Christians be uh, attacked with an onslaught of, 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 of just, just must-be spiritual attacks, just terrible things, one after the other. And they just sort of seem to sail through it. I'm not saying they don't hurt. I'm not saying they don't feel the, the pain and the loss. But it seems they are never shaken. They have ballast. They don't tip over. That's what we need. That's what maturity in Christ is like. That's one of the blessings of, of sticking with it. Of persevering through the hard times. Of, of digging in and, and, and listening to preachers ramble on and on. When it seems like they're just talking, talking, talking. Sometimes the Bible studies aren't on a topic that you necessarily want to uh, be in. It's, it's not what you're interested in right now. I understand that. I'm the same way. Right? We live, we live in the age. You know what I do? I subscribe to podcasts. There's a, a whole handful of preachers and ministries that I subscribe to far more than I could ever listen to all. And I sort through, oh, I want to listen to that one. Oh, I want to listen to that one. And you know what? That, that's what I do. It, it's helpful to me. And you can do the same in what books you read or if you're a podcaster or whatever else. But you know what we need? We need consistently together as a church family to be looking and listening at the same things. We can supplement that in a number of ways. And, and yes, um, everybody's not going to be happy about what, what's the scripture for the sermon this morning or, or what's the Bible study going to be about it. But if we stick with it, I, I think Paul said something here about forbearing one with another. <laughs> you know what we get? Instead of just scatterbrained and shallow and no depth, we find out that the Word of God begins to penetrate our hearts and our minds and our lives, and, and we will grow in Christ. And then when the troubles come, we won't be tipped over quite so easily. When something comes at you from out of nowhere, uh, suddenly uh, you'll reach a point Praise God because of His grace, because He does this, because He strengthens us. And we go, oh yeah, there's that. Instead of saying, what will I do? What will I do? There's a steadfastness, there's a strength, there's a stability that comes through maturing in Christ. And if you say, I'm not there, I, I, I freak out about everything. Okay. Now we know where we are. Let's point forward. Let's grow together. Remember, it's about unity, so this is, this is corporate. This is about all of us growing together. Some of us at different speeds in different areas. That's okay if we're looking to Christ. If we're looking at the realities that we need this, that we need that stability, we need that unity. I'll tell you another thing. Maturity in Christ looks like unity, seeks unity, strives to keep unity. It's also about uh, steadfastness. It's about uh, being uh, st uh, stable. But it's also about conformity. That's a big word for me, by the way, if you know much about my past. I'm not very much of a conformist. But how did the chapter open? Can you go back to verse 1? 
I therefore the prisoner of the Lord. We don't really like that word prisoner. We, we, we would like to say, I therefore the activist for the Lord. But Paul says no. I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Here come some other tough words, so grab a hold. With lowliness. That means being humble. You know what maturity in Christ looks like? It's not about me being puffed up because I know so much doctrine. It's about me being humble because the more I learn about the Word of God, the more I look to Christ and Him uh, supremely uh, beautiful and, and perfect in all holiness, the more I recognize that I need Him. Maturity in Christ looks like humility. Meekness, that means gentleness. Boy, they don't just hand that out to everybody once they call them a preacher, do they? God, help me to be meek and gentle. Help all of us. Help us to be like Christ. Help us when we need to, to stand firm and say, no, that's not right. I will stand for my Lord because he's given everything from me. And then turn around and you find someone in need. And, and instead of just beating them over the head with verses, we reach out in humility and meekness. Love. Oh, I have seen. I've been on the receiving end of that, both ways. Have you? There were times when I needed a gentle word from a brother or sister in Christ. And just got beat up. God, help us not to do that. Because I've also been the receiving end of the other. When I was as low, as low as a body could be, and a brother in Christ just reached out. I said, I love you. Let me help you. Has anybody ever done that for you? You talk about a witness for Christ. You talk about a moment where God reveals to you what the gospel is truly like, what the nature of Christ is really like. An experience that will get somebody committed for a lifetime. I'm your pastor today in large part because someone did that for me. With all lowliness and meekness. And here we go, with long-suffering for bearing one another in love. Whew. That is the holy way of saying we got to put up with each other. I used to work with a guy who said once, and I thought it was both very funny and very true, that the church is a lot like Noah's Ark. Sometimes it's really crowded and stinky, and you feel like you've been in there too long, but it's a lot better than what's going on outside. Maturity in Christ means being able to put up with stuff. Oh, that we would have that spirit about us. Remember what I was just talking about? It's okay for young believers, it's okay for babes in Christ to have wrong ideas. We've got to put up with it. We've got to uh, not be uh, uh, harsh with them. We've we got to love each other. We've got to teach each other. We've got to just... And you know what else? I'll let you in a little secret. Christian people, church folk, some of the most annoying people you'll ever know. Because they're people. Maturity in Christ 
Looks like conformity. Looks like humbleness. Looks like gentleness. Looks like long suffering. All right. This is beginning to drag on, and I tried to. T- I told you I wouldn't uh, give you two weeks worth. All right. So that's what. Uh, if nothing else, here's just some basic things. What is uh, growing up in Christ? What does maturing in Christ look like? Well, it looks like uh, wanting to preserve and wanting to seek and wanting to uh, find that unity in the body. It means that we have some stability and steadfastness, and it means that we conform to the ways of Christ and to the Word of God. So how do we get there? Right. Well, as I look around the uh, uh, scape, if you will, of modern Christianity and even of churches uh, that we affiliate with, I think uh, this, this, is, this must be the best kept secret ever. People just don't seem to get this. So I'll try to get through it quickly. The secret, the answer to how we are matured in Christ, the church. But you didn't really think I had a new answer, did you? Look, the spirit of this age says, I'm a believer in Christ and I love Christ, but I don't like the church, and so I'm going to go do some other thing. You cannot love Christ without loving the church. Not truly, not fully. We are, um, at best, terrible representatives for our Lord. Well, the church is full of hypocrites, yeah. The church is full of people who, who say one thing and do another, yeah. Church is full of failures. One of them stands up here. But but you see, this is this is the way he planned it. I mean, I mean, if you found the perfect church and then you joined it, it would no longer be perfect, right? Well, I wouldn't do it that way. Well, thank God you're not God because he did it the perfect way. And and as tough and and as backwards as it sometimes seems, this is how we mature in Christ. We participate in the ministry of the local church. We come and we attend and we listen to the preaching. We listen to the teaching and we struggle with each other and we hold each other's hands and we cry a lot sometimes and we laugh a lot sometimes and we go to retreats and we meet every night for a week once a year or whatever it is that we do, but we do it together as a church. That's how you mature in Christ. If you don't believe me, look at what Paul says. Notice, uh, if you did not, he quotes from the 68th Psalm that I read at the beginning of the service. The 68th Psalm um, presenting a picture of a victorious Lord having gathered the spoils of war. But Paul kind of twists it and he says those gifts, those spoils, he gives them. That's what he says. He doesn't say he takes them. He says he gives them. What are these gifts? He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. He set up the New Testament church. Now we don't have the office of apostle anymore, the office of prophet anymore, but he gave gifts. What are the gifts that he gave to us? He gave us the church. And by the way, just because I'm a little hyper off of a, a Wednesday, boy, just one Wednesday night off, and it really makes a difference, doesn't it? 
little annoyance, a little pet peeve of mine, and we'll correct it with a scripture. We have this uh, 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 phrase that we use, this terminology that we talk about ordinations, that we ordain a brother to the full work of the ministry. I hate that phrase. You know why? Look at your Bibles. Start reading with me in verse 11. He gave some apostles, some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry. The church does the full work of the ministry. I play a part in it. That's why I don't like that phrase. The full work of the gospel ministry is not for one man to go around and everybody to listen to. It's about us coming together every week, struggling together in the hard times, rejoicing together in the good times, and every one of you being a witness for Christ. That's why I think it's so important to teach on some things. And Maybe I pick the wrong things sometimes. Pray for me. But I do it because I believe what the Word says. It's my job to try to teach you, to try to help you, to try to encourage you, to try to exhort you. Because you do the full work of the ministry along with me. That's our job together. Now some of us will stand up front and I'll be the one dunking people in the water, at least for a while. Hopefully for a long while. I'll be the one with about four others so far that will spread out the bread and the wine. But together, together, we learn, we grow. God gives the increase, not just in numbers, but in us, in you, in me. Let me draw this to a close. There really is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. See, there you go. I hate one phrase. I'll give you another one that we really like. That's true. Sinners need to be saved. All those who don't trust in Jesus and leave this life in that state will forever endure the punishment of God. We need to tell people they need to be saved. But there's so much more. And we need to be about that so much more. Believers in Christ are meant to, they are called to, they are commanded to grow in Christ, to mature in Christ. The source of our unity is found only in Christ. The guide for our growing is the Word of God. As the Word of God reveals Christ to us, not just in our private study, but in our corporate study, as the Word of God is revealed to us in the examples of us living and, and worshiping and growing together, then the Holy Spirit will take even us, even you and me, and He'll mature us. And some of those voices that used to be just all over the place and scattered to and fro, some of those voices will begin to be seasoned and salted. Young men and young women will begin to have stability. will begin to teach those who are coming up after. That's the plan of God for us. That's why we're here. That's maturing in Christ. So... I'll give you one more laugh. I guess I'm just saying, grow up, church. Will you bow your heads with me? Oh, God. Were it based on our merit, on our worth, we would none make it. 
But you have promised and you are faithful to your word. You not only save those who believe, but you protect us and you help us and you cause us to grow when we spend time together as your church. So forgive us our sins through Jesus. Strengthen us, mature us, teach us with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.